Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to Cultural Baggage. On this edition, we'll hear from two guests. We'll hear from Chris Conrad. He's a medical marijuana expert out in the state of California. A little bit later, we'll hear from some of our Drug Truth Network reporters. But first up, we'll hear from a former law enforcement officer who thinks the drug war is a bad idea. Okay, my name is Earl Barnett, and I retired from the Greenville County Sheriff's Office in Greenville County, South Carolina, uh, several years ago. And after retiring there as the second-in-command of an agency of about 500 sworn officers, then I went to work overseas, uh, working in law enforcement um, in Bosnia and some other places, uh, East Timor and Indonesia. And then I've also been back overseas um, about 10 or 12 times to uh, monitor elections in different countries where they've had uh, basically uh, civil wars or wars of some type and you know have broken down the process and international community has gone in trying to help them reestablish uh, civil order. So I, I would go in to help monitor some of those elections for Parliament and uh, President and so forth. Well, Mr. Barnett, some would say that uh, we need a little bit of monitoring of our drug war in these United States, that it's uh, bigoted, it's racially motivated, and it's uh, disproportionately applied to poor and uh, economically disadvantaged folks. Uh, your thoughts on that, sir? Well, let me say this, that uh, there's a bumper sticker that's put out by LEAP, the Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which is an organization of, of professional uh, law enforcement type people who have decided that the war is a failure. And, and that, fa and that, excuse me, that the bumper sticker says um, that the drugs are bad, but the war on drugs is even worse. And I have to say I concur with that position 100%. Uh, no one in LEAP, and I repeat this, no one in LEAP is advocating the use of drugs. We're all saying it's bad. What we're saying is the policy decisions made by our government to criminalize the use of it rather than treating it as a social problem like we do alcoholism, that that has served to criminalize a very large portion of our population it's overburdened our prison system, and it's taxed our law enforcement to the point where uh, they're, they're running around. They can't hardly keep up with the calls for disorder, you know, which, which deals with human events of, of fighting and, and, um, and other things that the police are really needed for. I, I just can't see locking up a 19-year-old kid for smoking a, a joint of pot, but the majority of the drug arrests made in this country are for marijuana, and that just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. Well, sir, it's said that we arrest 1.6 million Americans every year for bags of one plant product or another. Uh, that means every 20 seconds, uh, one or more police officers are taken off the beat and uh, assigned the duty of, you know, escorting them to jail and then going to trial later. Uh, what would you think is a fair 
number of hours that uh, a policeman has uh, taken off the job to tend to these these drug users? Well, uh, unfortunately, I wouldn't wouldn't have those right at my fingertips, but I, I know that it's a substantial amount, and I know that each year, just for instance, in my home county here in Greenville County, South Carolina, in in the last ten years, I can show you the charts where the quality, the quantity. The quantity, the actual amount of drugs, has increased greatly in the last 10 years. The quality of the drugs that's being sold on the streets has increased. And the profit in those drugs, you know, has continued to increase. So we, we aren't really impacting anything. If, if we were having an impact, it would have an impact in the business uh, model approach in which we would be making the risk of selling drugs so high and the cost of the drugs so high that, you know, the average person couldn't afford them. But we haven't been able to do that. So what we've done is install a turnstile type of justice where people are going into prison and coming out, going in and going out. And we haven't impacted at all on the use of drugs in our society. And that's what we're saying has we have failed to address by this policy of criminalization. This, you know, lock them up and throw away the key business simply doesn't work. We're, we're making war on our own people. Indeed we are, and I, I guess what I was trying to uh, lead up to is the fact that even if those officers are off the beat for uh, two hours uh, mm -hmm. for each bust, that that's uh, several million man hours uh, that, in my opinion, are frittered away that could be better applied towards violent criminals. Your, your thoughts on that? Well, that, that's entirely true, um, and that, that's what I'm, I'm saying. We are diverting law, precious law enforcement resources uh, from actual crime fighting into something that we've declared to be a crime, but that is the same. If we go back and look at prohibition, when we declared uh, the possession of or drinking of alcohol to be a crime, tremendous amounts of, of crime took place at that, at that time in our country's history. And the, the murder rate went sky high. Everything associated with crime was, was you know, uh, enlarged simply because we created a whole new class of behavioral crimes. And, in fact, they weren't doing any harm to anybody else. It was just that a group of people felt like, why, you know, we shouldn't allow alcohol in this country. It's a sin, and people shouldn't be allowed to drink. Well, I don't drink personally, and I would never use drugs, but I can see where... Uh, you know, some people would not want it because I've seen the harmful effects of it. What I say and what many others in, in uh, law enforcement professionals, you know, against drugs have said is that we're going about this the wrong way. We're wasting time. And, for instance, keeping somebody in jail or in prison for a year costs far more than it does to educate a child for a year. So we're diverting money that could go into our, our, our money-strapped education system because we want to keep uh, people in jail because they smoke the plant. That's just stupid in my, in my uh, viewpoint. Yes, sir. Uh, we are speaking with uh, Earl Barnett, a retired uh, sheriff and uh, continuing in uh, law enforcement uh, in support of uh, new nations. In support of rebuilding uh, nations and their, their institutions of government, um, the justice system. They, they found out years ago that if you don't do immediate reforms in some of these countries dealing with law, the courts, and the police, that you're not going to be able to institute democracy at all. The, the United States tries to do right, I think, in the main, uh, though I, I feel that we have 
exported this drug war and the, the travails and problems uh, to these other countries. Uh, let's talk about Afghanistan, Colombia, and Mexico, for instance. Uh, your thoughts on that, sir? Are we meddling or uh, working to destroy democracy in those countries by insisting they maintain their drug war stance? Well, I think we, we are undermining our own efforts um, in trying to institute democracy when a large proportion of their population sometimes depends on growing these crops. In, in Colombia, for instance, that I, that I have visited, the, the indigenous people there have grown cocoa uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they chew the leaves there, much like we would take aspirin. Uh, they chew the leaves to help them feel better and, and uh, work more. Now, the fact that they have a product that people like to buy, they regard it the same as exporting uh, coffee. Coffee is fairly addictive as well. Uh, and they export a product called cocaine. Now, I'm not in favor of any kind of drug like that, but I will say this, that our efforts to, to eradicate it have caused tremendous backlash among people there. And in Afghanistan, which I've been to Afghanistan just a couple of years ago, um, the drug lords there are, are back in power simply because people there are desperate for money. We aren't doing anything to help convert the, uh, the farmers out in the field into cash-paying crops because the logistics of, of that countryside just doesn't support it. But it does support growing poppies out in the hillsides. And from that, you know, they harvest uh, opium. And, and, and from that, it's later processed into heroin. And there's a large demand for it in Europe, some parts of Asia, and particularly in the United States. I feel that we should be able to go against this drug use, you know, through education and rehabilitation, you know, and, and start taking out the um, criminalization of it, just like we have taken out criminalization of uh, drinking alcohol. You and I belong to an organization, as you mentioned earlier, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh, let's send them to that website where they can learn more about what we're up to. Yes, I believe that's um, uh, leap.cc. I, I think most times um, listeners to my programs are, quote, members of the choir. <laughs> um, but, but I also feel that many of them, knowing the truth, haven't done much, if anything, uh, to motivate or change the minds of their uh, elected officials. What would you recommend? How, how can we go about changing this? Well, I think I think the start the, the the thing that we need to hammer on is to decriminalize. There 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 is no use in continuing to put people in jail for something that they voluntarily um, possess and something that they voluntarily consume. To me, it, it is no different than alcohol. It should be regulated like, like alcohol. But we shouldn't put people in jail um, unless their behavior is related somehow to intoxication. And just like somebody asked me one time, so well, what are you going to do if, if people, um, you know, smoke a joint and, and, and they get uh, real high and then they go out and get in a wreck? I said, well, then you arrest them for DUI, the same as you would for alcohol. <laughs> that doesn't change. You know, you, you can still criminalize certain behavior, but you we don't need to criminalize possession and use of, of certain substances. Now, the, the federal government, I will say this, seems to be far behind the people in the local uh, communities because many of the states have tried to criminalize, I mean, excuse me, have tried to legalize use of different substances for medical treatment and so forth. And the federal government is jumping in saying, no, we'll, we'll prosecute you in federal court and throw you in a federal prison 
if you do that. So I think the government itself on a federal level is far behind the people who have recognized that this is a losing proposition. So if people will call and talk with their legislators and just let them know, the more people who call and do that, the more these people become aware that, hey, there's a changing time in our country and, and I need to stay with it. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. How did a bunch of poorly equipped Vietnamese peasants beat the mightiest army the world has ever known? Well, back in the 60s, the United States was fighting not one, but two wars. The war against communism in Vietnam and Jim Crow at home. Every evening on the TV news, America's racism was laid bare for all to see as tear gas, dogs, fire hoses, and police batons were used to deny black Americans the very same rights that carpet bombing, defoliants, and napalm were supposed to be winning for foreigners half a world away. Racism kept America from winning the moral high ground, and Americans lost faith in America. Support withered for the war overseas, and America, for the first time in its history, was defeated. Today, America is at war with radical Islam in Iraq and Afghanistan, and Jim Crow has been replaced with drug war. Every evening, the nightly news shows America holding fair elections in Iraq side-by-side with electoral fraud in Florida, the rebuilding of Baghdad, and the neglect of New Orleans, liberation in Afghanistan, and one million black Americans in prison, most for minor drug possession. We don't have to repeat the mistakes of the past. Drug war is a log in America's eye, and we must address it before we can deal with the specks in the eyes of other nations. Let's end racism at home and take the moral high ground. Support our troops by ending drug prohibition. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. It's time to celebrate. On June 30, 2006, historian and research professor at Ohio State University John C. Burnham reported in the Columbian Dispatch that on June 17, the 35th anniversary of the drug war, six former drug czars and a handful of experts and former staff members met at the University of Maryland to declare victory. Quote, the United States has won the war on drugs. The meeting outlined the original objective of the war as, quote, Veterans who were coming back from Vietnam were using illegal drugs and the number of deaths related to heroin, not to mention the crimes committed by addicts. But the veterans didn't continue use, and heroin use and heroin-related deaths declined. The good professor then gives us a history lesson. Quote, Historians have established that the 1920s experiment in alcohol prohibition was successful, but was repealed in 1933 only because of a massive propaganda campaign that was well-funded. Mr. Burnham then goes on to report about the parents' movement developed in the 1970s when parents, quote, saw what happened to their kids when they got addicted to marijuana and their young brains got fried. The article cites opinion polls showing concern about drugs trailing behind many other issues as another victory for the war on drugs. According to the good professor, six former drug czars, 20 former staff members, and a handful of experts, laws are meant to control problems, not solve them. Quote, laws against murder hope to control the problem, not abolish murder. Well said, Professor. Mission accomplished. This has been Winston Francis with the official Government Truth. Yes, it's so good to know the drug war is over. 
except where it's not, like in California, where they're still busting medical marijuana patients. I'm Chris Conrad. I'm the author of Hemp, Lifeline to the Future, and Hemp for Health, and I'm a a court-qualified expert on marijuana who testifies in uh, federal and state courts. Well, Chris, that uh, keeps you rather busy these days, does it not? Much more busy than I wish, I tell you. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing where I, I feel good about the work of defending patients in, or of uh, marijuana users in court because I think that the cause is, uh, is righteous, but uh, it's just depressing that we have to be doing this after uh, the 1972 Presidential Commission said that we shouldn't be arresting people for marijuana. <laughs> and here we are, 2006. Uh, we're still having the same problems that we had back in the in the 70s and 60s. So, you know, it, it feels good, but it also feels bad that this is not something I should have to do. Exactly. Now, California has uh, been a bit of a, a laboratory, if you will, for these medical marijuana laws, yet here we are 10 years after the passage of Prop 215, and uh, it's still going on, uh, San Diego being a focal point of some of the problems. Tell us what's going on there. Well, uh, just to go back to history of what's happened is that in uh, 1996, the voters here passed uh, Proposition 215 that allows patients to uh, possess and obtain medical marijuana and to cultivate it, and they're allowed to have one caregiver who will uh, help them in that process and endeavor. Then um, in 19, excuse me, in 2003, the state legislature passed uh, SB 420 which says that uh, patients can work collectively and that it's not illegal to sell marijuana to a medical marijuana patient if you're a patient yourself. Um, so what's happened in the course of all this whole thing is that when Prop 215 was passed, there was one major dispensary in California, in San Francisco, and uh, since then, and even <clears throat> actually immediately after uh, that happened, the Fed shut down that big dispensary in San Francisco, and numerous little dispensaries opened in Oakland, and then uh, the city council there said that they didn't want so many in Oakland, and so they reduced the number to four. And at that point, uh, around the state, they started opening up. And at this point, there's 100 and somewhere around 150 dispensaries that are operating here, which is, uh, I would say, exactly what the voters thought. They voted to allow patients to use and obtain and cultivate medical marijuana. Uh, the, and then the legislature, by passing this bill that allows people to sell marijuana amongst patients themselves, has uh, created such a mechanism, but the DEA has, of course, been the obstacle uh, because of the federal law, which um, uh, it, it doesn't uh, supersede state law, but what it does is the state law doesn't overpower, overturn federal law. And so we have these two conflicting law systems here in California. The California voters and the legislature have created a system for access for medical marijuana, and then we've got the federal government, which doesn't even allow for uh, use by the most desperate people, excepting for the people who are in the federal uh, IND program who get six pounds a year free from the federal government. But anybody else is looking at probably six years in prison uh, for, although actually more like one, two, three, or less it costs sales, then they might be five years or ten or twenty years in prison. But uh, that, that dichotomy at the federal level has been used as an excuse by the county of San Diego in particular to launch a, uh, an unconstitutional war on medical marijuana in the county of San Diego. And the reason I say it's unconstitutional is because we have in our California Constitution a section that says when federal and state laws conflict, that all state officials and agencies are bound by state law, not federal law. And so these uh, officials actually should be being impeached for what they're doing right now. But uh, what they've done is they've managed to coordinate with the news media down there. You're talking about one of the most conservative bastions of the state, um, and uh, they're in a wave of this whole anti-immigration hate movement and so forth going on, and hate-mongering and that fear-mongering thing. You know, this particular 
corner of the state is where the battle line has been drawn. They have uh, filed to, they went to federal court to try to get the state law overturned and uh, were rebuked that it was improper to do so. And so they withdrew their case out of federal court and have moved it into state court. And uh, that case has just started to move forward. You know, it's an early stage. It's just that the, the courts have said, yes, yeah, okay, for them to, to have this lawsuit move forward. But there hasn't been any rulings about anything about it yet. So we don't really know where that's going to go. Um, what we do know is that the county supervisors and the county DA are completely violating the state constitution and saying that they're, they're going to follow federal law and not state law. And uh, I don't know that there's any – we don't know of a mechanism to remove them for violating the state constitution, although they should be because they're state officials and they've taken an oath of office to uphold the state constitution. So for them to be doing what they're doing right now, I believe they should all be removed from office. But, you know, uh, what we're seeing played out is quite different. We're seeing the news media uh, particularly going after the dispensaries and even more so they've been going after the doctors. Um, the reason for this being that uh, California state law allows a physician to uh, recommend marijuana for any condition that the doctor feels it could benefit the patient. And so uh, the DA has taken this point of view of how sick do you have to be to use medical marijuana. It's only for the most desperately sick people. But actually, the law here in California doesn't say that. It says that it's up to the doctor to decide that. And uh, the California Medical Association has set up certain protocols of standards by which uh, doctors are supposed to, uh, you know, conduct their uh, medical marijuana um, evaluations and so forth. But what happens is that then they send in these, uh, uh, I'm going to call them corrupt cops, corrupt cops with fraudulent information that they then take to a doctor, uh, lie to the doctor, you know, with wires and so forth, and get the doctors to approve something. Then they come out and say, aha, I'm not as sick as I told the doctor I was. Uh, and then the doctor is the one who they're going after because the cop lied to him about how sick he was in order to get a fake medical marijuana recommendation. And so, uh, you know, this, this is kind of the thing that we're seeing right now, this, uh, this, this incredible amount of uh, abuse of power by officials in the southern part of the state uh, in collusion with the news media, which actually kind of started cheerleading. One of the things I say this is collusion is that before the raids occurred, in the days before the raids occurred, the news media did re- uh, advertisements about how you know they were going to expose these doctors and they were going to expose these dispensaries, uh, and and the day that they did these exposés, they uh, was the same day that the feds and the police raided. So it appeared to be a coordinated defamation in conjunction with a raid against these people. And and the kind of defamation itself is rather interesting because, for example, they had one doctor who uh, they had a secret tape of when they had gone in and was sent somebody to get a you know, recommendation. The TV station was also involved in defrauding uh, physicians, making false statements and so forth uh, as part of their investigation. And uh, the doctor that they caught, had talked to on tape said something along the lines of Tylenol is more dangerous than marijuana. Well, right now we have data that shows that Tylenol is the number one cause of liver disease in the country. And marijuana, of course, doesn't hurt your liver at all. So what the doctor said was actually truthful, but the media just said, oh, how could he even say that, and, you know, as if it weren't true, and then with the implication that it was not true. But the fact of the matter is he, what the doctor said was true. He said that, uh, you know, marijuana is safer than Tylenol. He said that there's evidence that marijuana helps to regrow nerves uh, and brain cells. He said that marijuana doesn't cause lung cancer. Uh, I forget what the other thing was. But anyway, everything he said was actually scientifically backed up. Uh, but instead of looking at the studies and finding out it was true, the news media just said, how dare he say that? And that was, uh, you know, the way that they did their expose. So it was really like a total smear. In fact, smearing him with the fact, <laughs> smearing him for saying things that were true, uh, at the same time as the way that they got him to say that was they sent somebody in to lie to the doctor and got him to speak the truth, and then they used that against him. Well, Chris, you know, the point I would like to throw into this is that 
there have been several reports over the last uh, few months and even a couple of years showing that uh, marijuana may uh, stifle or even eliminate gliomas, brain cancer, that it uh, has many benefits for people with suffering a stroke or head injury, and yet it is the U.S. media that has uh, never publicized these facts that should be held accountable rather than the doctor for telling the truth. Yeah, we do know all of these benefits. Um, and I think the other thing you really need to look at, uh, Dean, when you talk about that kind of a situation is you've got these TV stations who are doing a smear campaign. First off, they never recovered, they've never covered the scientific studies showing the benefits of marijuana. Then the physician mentions it and they make it sound like it's not true. But then you look at who's advertising on the TV station. Pharmaceutical drugs. So there's actually a, a financial uh, conflict of interest in the news media uh, attempting to, especially the, I believe the broadcast media, if you look at the amount of advertising, which is to convince people to use drugs that they probably don't really need, uh, and then to say that people who need marijuana shouldn't have it, uh, is, uh, you know, I mean, it's quite clearly for the benefit of these big pharmaceutical companies who are all tied in with the FDA, who are then linked to the DEA, and you see this circle of, of corruption for which we all pay a, a hideous price as a society. Well, Chris, my uh, medical uh, recommendation is because I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, of course, one of the major, if not the uh, most uh, uh, major contributor for uh, advertising are the alcohol companies, Coors and Bud and so forth. And uh, they would prefer that I be a threat, that I drink alcohol rather than use my medical marijuana. Not only is what you're saying correct, but if you look at the history of the war on marijuana, you find that one of the major turning points was in the 1970s when the Coors Beer Company funded uh, a group of helicopters to use to, for aerial uh, surveillance and eradication of marijuana in Colorado. So, uh, yeah, I think it's quite clear that the beer industry is a, uh, uh, a predator, as it were, against society, uh, not only by uh, leading people into alcoholism, but uh, specifically targeting marijuana uh, in order to protect their profits. And also, I think, I, and I don't think it's unlikely that what you're saying is true, any more than the, uh, the tobacco industry knowing that smoking cigarettes cause cancer and hiding it. I don't think that there's any reason to doubt that Coors and those guys know that marijuana use would take a lot of people off of alcohol. You know, they benefit from alcoholism, and they're not interested in things people use an alternative that's safer. Uh, what's a website you, you think folks should visit? I have a portal website, which is called Equal Rights for All, with the number four, equalrightsforall.org. Uh, uh, that's a portal that will link people to a variety of sites that they'll find useful for exploring the subject. And if you want to get a hum more human face of the marijuana smoker, then you should go to cannabisconsumers.org. Uh, and you'll get to see my lovely wife, Vicki Norris, there and uh, read about people who are um, productive members of society who, uh, in the situation you're describing, Dean, they found that marijuana enhances their lives rather than harms it, and they just want the world to know. Well, I hope you enjoyed this edition of Cultural Baggage, and I hope it motivates you to uh, do something, to activate yourself, to write that letter, to get in contact with your legislators and your local media, and to demand an end to the madness of drug war. Here's a thought I haven't relayed in some time. We offer $1,200 cash to any drug warrior willing to come on the show and defend the policy of drug war. That's any police captain or above, any agent of the DEA, CIA, FBI, or Justice Department, any working judge or district attorney. And I want to once again extend that offer to all those retired uh, drug czars Winston was talking about who claim victory. 
in the drug war. I want to welcome our 59th affiliate, WHOV in Hampton, Virginia. Next week on Century of Lies, our guest will be Dean Kuypers, the author of Burning Rainbow Farm. And on Cultural Baggage, our guest will be the distinguished professor and drug reform pioneer, Arnold S. Trebach, author of Fatal Distraction, The War on Drugs in the Age of Islamic Terror. I urge you to please do your part. Visit our website, endprohibition.org. It's a signpost leading you to about 15 of the best drug reform organizations on the planet. Once again, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of cannabis. <laughs>